I remember talking to my mom and I just said, there's no value in this. And even at one point there was a report I was going to write. And I said, I don't want to write this report because the teacher's going to read it. No one else is going to read it. If I'm going to write this report, I either want an audience or I want to get paid. And she said, just hold it together. Just graduate. Welcome to the On Fire podcast, episode eight. With your hosts, Matt and Kellen. On Fire is a weekly podcast where we discuss financial independence, life hacking, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. Reviews. As of the time of this recording, we have 13 reviews on iTunes as well as 13 ratings. I have a sneaking suspicion that there's more than 13 people that listen to us on iTunes. So if you're listening to us on iTunes right now and you haven't left us a rating or a review, I'm really hoping that my voice can guilt you into jumping over to iTunes, leaving us a five-star rating as well as just some sort of written review. It really does help us find a broader audience. In today's episode, we interviewed John Kepler. John has a wealth of experience with various stock investing, forex trading, businesses, online marketing, MLMs, and most recently, he's been very successful with rental property investing. John has some amazing stories to share and showed us the value of creativity in business. One of the most interesting stories he shared with us, in my opinion, was related to the idea of outsourcing aspects of your life. I think a lot of us in financial independence world, we get caught up trying to become that renaissance person. We're really focused on doing everything in our lives, but his perspective of outsourcing the aspects of life that maybe you just don't get a lot of satisfaction or gratification from. I found that really insightful and actually I'm being drawn more and more to that idea of outsourcing the aspects of my life that I just don't find rewarding and focus on the things that really do engage me. It's guys like John that make me consider what's really possible with enough creativity and hard work. Of course, money's only one factor in a person's life, but it's a great reminder that if we direct our energy in the right way, we can design whatever lifestyle we want, whether that's a lean fire lifestyle or a more expensive version, sometimes called fat fire. He's also another great example of someone who understands that hard work is more fun when you don't need the money. 100% agree. And it's really interesting the journey that led John to this point of becoming one of the larger real estate investors in Owen Sound. But enough of us talking about John. Let's start talking with John and jump into the podcast. Let's do it. So, welcome to the On Fire Podcast, John Kepler. Hello. Welcome, John. We're really excited to have you here. And so, I think the first thing we just want to kind of dive into is a little bit of your background. So, tell us, uh, you know, the idea of investing in real estate, getting involved in maybe financial independence, earning passive income. How did you stumble upon that idea? In terms of earning passive income, uh, that I stumbled across quite early. Uh, I have some friends of mine who tell me when they met me, I was 18 or 19 years old, and I don't recall this, but apparently I talked to them and I said, I've been looking for a business with residual income, repeat income, can you help me with this? And they thought that was unbelievable for someone who was a, a new adult, yeah. right? And just turned 18. Um, so I wanted something, and I did quickly learn that real estate would be the way to go, but I had no way to get started. So. I had about four years um, where I researched and I spent my time looking things up online, but I actually had no way to get started. So I learned which direction I wanted to take very early on, and then it took uh, a lot more time than that to piece it all together. Can you dive a little further into some of the things you tried out before real estate and kind of maybe some of your successes or failures or what you've learned from, from those businesses? Of course. I worked at Wendy's. That's where I started. That was my first job. And... Priority number one was get out of Wendy's. So <laughs> I started a website. I, uh, there was a video game called The Sims at the time that was quite big, and I created game content and sold subscriptions. And it wasn't nearly enough money to quit Wendy's, but it was my first attempt. After that, I joined a couple of multi-level marketing companies. I think I did pretty well. I didn't do as well as some other people do, uh, but 
those careers are often fairly short-lived. So there are a couple of companies there where I tried to get things off the ground. I sold a variety of things, sold cell phones, long-distance packages, a few luxury products, just, just a whole range. Huh. And after that, I went into technology and became a, an internet advertising consultant. And that was a real business. I did that for several years. But there are challenges selling services to people. Customers come, customers go, and... After that and a few other field opportunities, I just needed something with some support. So again, fairly early on, I knew that real estate was what I wanted, but I had to try some other things before I was able to get it. Yeah. So let's uh, maybe talk about MLMs a little bit more, because I think a lot of people, the moment they discover the idea of passive income, they end up coming across the idea of these MLMs. So can you tell us maybe like, it sounds like there was multiple ones. Like, did you know they were MLMs at the time? Were they... MLMs that you felt were better than other ones like or was it just a friend introduced it to you and it seemed like a way to make money I, I think a lot of our audience have either came across the idea or will come across the idea and are very curious but don't even know what to make of it well I was very interested in some sort of residual income or repeat income and I didn't know anything more than that I actually was approached by someone who showed me their MLM business and it seemed to be what I had in mind, so I was enthusiastic about it. I'm not... I, I MLMs can work for some people. I'm not as positive uh, on them as some people are. So I wasn't aware of the pitfalls when I got started. There are a number of drawbacks to MLMs as well, and if that's the route you want to take, there are probably a couple of things to keep in mind and a couple of adjustments you could make to make your life a whole lot easier. I didn't know any of that stuff. So Can you give us a couple of those tips, maybe? Well, I think... One of the secrets in MLM is that you do a whole lot of work for free. <laughs> so in real estate, we work very hard to avoid that. We try to make sure that all of our effort is purposeful and that all of the, the things we do are worth doing. Um, I, I always think to myself, am I getting paid for this? And am I, if I'm going to put in the effort, am I getting the value? Am I providing value to someone else? And am I getting the value back myself in terms of profitability? And in MLM, it's very easy to get caught and end up doing a lot of work, doing a lot of presentations, helping your upline, and not necessarily getting anywhere. So what is it that got you interested in doing real estate then, as opposed to all these other options? I'm not sure where I first heard about it. This is a little embarrassing to admit, but The Apprentice had just come out. And <laughs> okay, yeah. Donald Trump looked like a really fancy man. <laughs> <laughs> It, this was the old Trump. Please understand. I, I was a, I'm not a fan of the current Trump. It was the, the old Trump. Yeah. He was a lot different back then. Very luxurious and not crazy at all. And uh, he, it was just it was basically a, a point that interested me. And then I was able to start researching from there. So you can kind of come across things that interest you, or come across things that uh, that are worth learning more about rather easily and almost by accident, right? So that's what happened to me. And then after that, it was just the research and finding out what, what it was really all about. And so what sort of research or is there any resources you'd maybe recommend to our audience that they should be considering diving into if they're new to the idea of real estate investing, but think it might be for them? Uh, I won't mention the one that was helpful to me just because it's very old now and it hasn't been updated. I'm not even sure, sure if it's still online. Uh, if you want to contact me, I'm happy to tell you what it is. But there was one very good forum and they actually had a podcast as well and it was just it was the right thing at the right time it was popular at the time it was current at the time and so they taught me a lot about the different types of rentals and basically the same thing that you're learning here on these podcasts and 
So I just listened to as many of those as I could for two years. They had sales pitches as well, so you could pay $1,000 and buy a whole program after. And I quickly found that they gave away most of the good content for free. So and actually, that's a question I have, because uh, a lot of real estate investors, when they're brand new to the game, they get hit up by all these different courses. Have you ever paid for courses? No, no. In fact, one course I wanted so desperately, I found it knocked off on uh, eBay. <laughs> so someone photocopied the whole thing and sold it to me for like $70. Yeah, what, what would you evaluate that course at? Actually, I think I paid a fair price for it. I don't think it was worth more than 70 and they were trying to get 1000 Yeah. Oh, wow. It had a couple of good tips. Even by the time it arrived and I studied it, it was already becoming dated. Interesting. Um, that one was a few tips on how to raise private money. And I've subsequently raised lots of private money, but not necessarily using all the strategies that were in that course. That's, it touches on, upon a point that a lot of us talk about where we want to get the same thing or the same value for a lot less money. Are there any other examples of that in your life where you're, you're getting something that everyone else has or wants, but you're do doing it for a lot less money? Well, I might have to think about that. <laughs> Generally, I think it's important to consider where you're going to find that value. So rather than saying, I'm, I'm never going to pay for anything, I'm going to be as cheap as possible, decide what things are worth drilling down on. I desperately don't want to overpay for any of my properties. Even if there's a, a property that's headache free, I don't think that justifies overpaying. So I, I believe I'm a value investor in terms of my real estate. Uh, I, I try to be frugal in certain aspects. In other aspects, I, I feel that uh, I'm going to save time rather than money. So it all depends on which part of your life we're talking about, whether it's food or your personal expenditures or business or comforts. So where, where did you fall in like, especially in your earlier years, did you find yourself, did you find yourself being a particularly frugal person or did you find yourself more middle line or maybe someone that spends a little bit more? Like where did you fall on that level of frugality? Well, I think that I had the underpinnings of it, but what was interesting is we all grow up, we're all trying to mature as we turn 18 and turn 20 and so on. And at that point in my life, I very much wanted to do well and be seen as someone who is doing well. So I was fortunate to be able to buy a house when I was 22. And so I bought a fairly substantial four bedroom house uh, because I could and uh, a little embarrassing, but I, I wanted people to see it. I want my friends certainly did not have it. I wanted to have it. So I bought it and I lived in it by myself and it was great fun having all the space I didn't need. <laughs> and then it wasn't. And then I thought, what on earth am I doing? So I went out and I got two roommates. Nice. Awesome. That's really cool. And so a recurring segment we have on this uh, podcast is spreadsheet junkies. So we're curious, do you track your expenses? Do you use a spreadsheet? Do you budget? Or how, how do you go about approaching your personal finances? I have done that. I get more or less detailed depending on what I'm trying to achieve that year, I suppose. So I've had years where I've been extremely detailed. I've budgeted to the penny on everything. I believe that budgeting to the penny can wear you down. Yes. If you have the type of expenses that are run through software and are able to automate it, then do budget everything. But I realized that I had to key in a lot of things manually and that at some point my time could be better utilized but that, that certainly doesn't mean that I don't budget or that I didn't budget uh, if anything I would just try to take shortcuts that kept things relatively accurate but save me time so maybe don't budget to the penny maybe budget to the nearest $25 for a certain period of time or something like that just to just to keep that balance while still trying to not waste money 
it reminds me of in earlier retirement extreme he talks about the renaissance man and the idea of somebody who can do everything for himself um, but by doing that you're going to be using a lot of your own time so like how do you evaluate whether something is worth your time or whether it's something you think is worth outsourcing the concept of being a renaissance man sounds wonderful right if you look into it or you google it sounds great in reality we all have limited energy and you're simply not going to be able to be good at everything and if you find someone who's been described as a renaissance man and you really dig down into and you look at what they've done they they outsource certain things completely they look they you're you're able to be better or, or very good at several things if you also outsource other things nearly completely um, mm -hmm. so in terms of what i outsource I spend a lot less effort on food than I used to. Uh, I also try to outsource, just, this is just me personally, but I try to outsource a lot of the personal headaches so that I can focus more on my business. And I admit, a portion of this is wasteful. It sounds the opposite of frugal. But anything around my home, I've worked hard to outsource. At one point, I had a house manager who would basically run my household. I don't have one currently. Um, that sounds like an incredible waste of money, right? It's Can you dive staffing. more into that? What is a house manager? Sure. Uh, it's, it's a confusing term for people. I don't think anyone of our on-fire audience will know what a house manager is, so this is interesting. <laughs> a house manager's job description can vary widely, but the, the simple explanation is that they run a household. So if you think of what that means, that means that they make sure that the fridge is never completely empty. It means that when I open the door in the middle of winter, I need that walkway shoveled. They don't necessarily do anything either. They just ensure that it's planned and it's done. So if you think, think for a minute about everything you need in a house, perhaps you'd need your grass cut. They would make sure that that's done. They would make sure that that didn't get left unattended. Um, I do not have any children, but some house managers are also involved in the parenting aspect. I think if you took a nanny's job description and you stretched it out, you could get a house manager description, though that was not what I had. That's very interesting. That really is. And so I think you probably piqued some people's curiosity now, and we haven't really got into it yet. Can you paint a bit of a high-level picture of, you know, what what's your portfolio like and what's your actual day-to-day -day then? Like, what's um, Monday to Friday look like for you? So I try to use every minute as purposefully as possible. We don't have unlimited energy. So I spend a, a fair portion of my time focused on maintaining my energy. So I watch my food intake. I watch how I sleep. I'm unapologetic about getting the sleep that I need. Some people say you've, you've got to be a hard worker. You've got to put in your... And they make up crazy numbers like I work 80 hours a week or I work 100 hours a week. I read a study that uh, noted it was physically impossible to work more than 55 hours a week. If you think you're working more than that, there's waste in there. You're not actually putting in more than 55 solid hours. So I wake up in the morning, I am constantly in touch with the, the people on my team that help me run my, my business. So the, uh, I'm constantly in touch with my customers, with my contractors, uh, other professionals I'm involved with, you know, my lawyer, various realtors. And I get up in the morning and, and try to have as much of a singular focus as I can while making sure I'm still doing what makes me happy uh, minute by minute and taking breaks as I need them. Do you have a long-term goal with, uh, with your business or with your life right now? Is there, like, is there a dream that you're trying to chase? Not especially specific. I have certain real estate goals in terms of uh, the size of my portfolio and also the size of my portfolio in relation to my market. I'm in a smaller market. 
And as fascinating as I grow, I've been able to become a more and more significant player in that market. And so it's interesting to sit and think about what could be. There are some people in my market who are 30 or 40 years older than me, and it's neat to consider what their path has been and wonder if I could have a percentage of my entire market if I was able to build big enough. So I do think about that. I Also, I am a bit of a spreadsheet junkie, so I will try to, to spreadsheet out how old will I be when I get to various financial benchmarks? What can I do by the time I'm 40? What can I do by the time I'm 50? But I try not to set a goal that's that's harder than that. Uh, I don't put myself under incredible pressure to meet You're certain goals. You're not 10xing your goals? <laughs> not on a certain timeline. I, 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 you know what? Especially this last week, I have been thinking a lot about what it would take to 10x my business. So it's funny you use the term 10x. That, that's like, <laughs> I guess that's a hot term this year. Absolutely. And Grant yes. Cardone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, I, no, I thought just the other day, I thought if, uh, I thought what would, what would I be able to buy that I can't buy now if I 10x my business? Or what other problems can I not solve now that I could easily solve if I 10x my business? So I do think about that. But I used to set goals, you know, I'm going to buy a property in the next three months. And sometimes goals like that almost inhibit you from, from mm-hmm. achieving them. I'm not going to buy the wrong property in three months, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, if I had set goals this whole time to acquire you know, acquire, acquire a property every year or, or a couple properties a year, I, I probably wouldn't have been in the right mindset to tackle these deals as they came along. Um, we've done a lot of acquisitions this year, but they've been in bunches. And you never know what you're going to buy until you review it and make sure it makes sense. And so right now, uh, your investments, your passive income, is that pure real estate or do you have other things on the go? I have no significant source of passive income besides real estate. So say you didn't have real estate, is there some other thing that you would want to chase? Or like, what do you think you'd be spending your time on or earning earning money with if it weren't for real estate? Well, I've tried things in the past. So for some complicated reasons, I don't feel that MLM necessarily provides the stability that, that we're pitched it can. Uh, I guess the other issue with MLMs is that the business landscape can change. So if you do very well in a company and you have lots of passive income, that company must continue doing well and you can't always guarantee that. So even when you're out, you're not necessarily out. I've ha- I have had a stock portfolio. I've also done Forex trading. I had a manager who looked after that and I was somewhat involved, but they were ultimately the expert. And I believe that I could have built those up, but real estate had more of the attributes I was looking for, especially that time. And so going forward, do you see yourself still just purely focused on real estate or are there other opportunities you may be interested in? In the future, I'm looking to be more open to opportunities. So there are a few things I'm looking into right now. Um, Actually, just investments in private companies, angel investing, and just different ways to do private market investments. But again, I haven't taken a major step. And if or when I do, I still think that real estate was the right way for me to scale up to where I am now. And I'm going to continue holding what I have because I think it's a good base to have. If you look at, I mean, being a property developer is still real estate related, but I think a lot of developers who do well and don't go broke have substantial rental portfolios behind them. And sometimes they don't talk about it or don't disclose it unless you really dig. But having uh, having the automatic income from rental real estate can provide you a solid base to do a lot of other good things. It's like the pensions that don't exist anymore. 
Exactly. <laughs> it is kind of like that, yes. Well, I mean, if you were relatively young and for some reason had a stable, wonderful pension, that would be a firm base to build on. Yes, just like this. <laughs> yeah, there's something really powerful about the idea. I know a lot of the FIRE communities will call it essentially FU money. The idea that, you know, you now can afford to buy your freedom. You maybe don't even necessarily choose to execute on immediately. Uh, so, for example, probably if you didn't want to work another day in your life, you probably could do that, right, John? Like Exactly. And it's interesting. People ask, when are you going to retire or could you retire? And I, th I think that the pressure of not being able to retire is definitely a negative force that can, can affect you significantly in your work life. And I think the fact that I have those options available to me makes me even more dedicated to what I'm doing because you don't feel trapped. Uh, I, I haven't been an employee in quite some time. I was a bad employee. And it's nice that I have the freedom to not, not be an employee and not be placed in the situation. So anything I'm doing, I'm at least doing completely willingly. How do you find managing your time as, a, like as an individual and versus, versus when you're an employee and how you're told, you're told to do things? But like, how do you keep yourself motivated? How do I keep myself motivated as someone who's self-employed versus being yeah, an employee? Yeah. Well, I think an important part of it is working on things that you like and making sure that you generally approve of what you're up to, which sounds crazy. But as an employee, I remember spending large chunks of my time on things that I felt had no value. I remember one time I uh, made my manager very happy, actually. He gave me some free stuff, and he said, thanks, that was great work. And I looked back, and I didn't see the utility in the work I did. And I thought, he's, he's kind of stupid for being happy. He shouldn't be that happy. My, my time wasn't well used. I didn't give him the good stuff he thought I gave him. Um, and I was completely honest about what I did. I did, I did what he wanted instead of doing maybe what was best for the business. And it's just frustrating to, to know that you could be doing more things that are worthwhile, but you're unable to because the, the people you work with don't understand how to get the most out of you. I found like for myself, motivation was such a difficult thing to find throughout school, right from elementary school, high school, university, even into my career, finding that motivation was really difficult. It was just drive. It was just forcing myself to do these things. Um, whereas when it came to entrepreneurship, I found myself extremely motivated because I now had goals and I was the one under control of, of the, the profits and, and, and how the business is being run. I found myself being far more motivated when it was my own thing. It's so interesting that you say that, especially in terms of how far back in your life you found that to be the case. I imagine that some people who are interviewed, they come on and they say, I was a terrible student, but don't worry, I was still successful. The truth is, I was an excellent student. I was very good until the beginning of grade 11. And at the beginning of grade 11, I found that being a good student was no longer worthwhile. I remember towards the end of grade 10, I considered my social life. I decided that there was room for improvement, and the only way to improve it would be to spend more time investing in it. And I purposefully tanked my grades uh, to the point where I, I think I failed. I failed physics at one point. Um, oh, I didn't attend an exam. And I remember talking to my mom, and I just said, there's no value in this. And the, even at one point, there was a report I was going to write, and I said, I don't want to write this report because the teacher's going to read it. No one else is going to read it. If I'm going to write this report, I either want an audience or I want to get paid. 
And she said, just hold it together. Just graduate. Just <laughs> stop, stop. Think about this later. Graduate and then think about your freedom and your value to the world. How else would you have gotten that job at Wendy's? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I think yeah. that's really interesting, though, because I know on my YouTube channel, a lot of my audience is very young. And they have this mentality, you know, they've been watching uh, Gary Vee and a lot of these other motivational people, but they're still stuck in high school. They're chained to their desk, at least until they get out of high school. Any suggestions or recommendations or thoughts for our younger audience members? Well, the, the thing about being in a good place in, in any aspect, at any point in your life, is it's tempting to forget about what it took to get you to the good place, or and it's also tempting to forget about how you felt before you got there. So I, I was quite miserable at a certain point, and I felt that it was going to be next to impossible to be successful. I felt very closed in, and... Being at a better point in my life now, it's easy to pretend that it wasn't that stressful. But if you're in a, a difficult place, you're in high school and hating it, or you don't feel like you have a, a good launching pad after you graduate high school, I was there. It's horrible. I, I do appreciate that. Uh, I don't want to give any hollow advice. A lot of people say, oh, don't worry, just wait, it'll get better. But that is true. If you break it down, you just think about the frustrations involved in getting through the difficult time, you break it down piece by piece, you realize that you will be knocking them out. Time will continue to go by. Uh, the semester is going to end, uh, no matter how you feel about it, you are going to get through it. And if you just break it down, consider that you're, you're still putting one foot in front of the other and you're still getting through it one piece at a time, eventually you'll be through it. And then after that, you'll have more freedom to, to build a life that you want to build that you're waiting to build and and in a way that you can relate more some people like we talked about fu money and how having that maybe like all of a sudden work is more fun when you don't need the money you start you realize that you have that to fall back on you have your your money to fall back on you could say something similar when it comes to having your high school right like you can maybe take more risks knowing that like worst case at least you have your high school you can fall back on that therefore now you can go out in the world and take risks Exactly. And to be clear, when I had that one conversation with my mom, she said, don't drop out. Just, just, you'll be happy you didn't drop out. And of course she's right. Dropping out would have been a bad idea. I, I was able to get a head start on some of the things I was working on because I didn't go to college. And I think everyone's path is different. I'm not going to say don't go to college. But when, once you're through high school, you at least have that behind you. And after that, you can decide how best to build your path. But after high school, you're at least, whether you go to college, university, or you do a trade, or you go into business for yourself, whatever it is, you do have more freedom to control your destiny once you get that high school diploma. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great advice. Um, so switching gears a little bit, we have a recurring segment called Just the Tip, where we'd like to just get a frugality tip, a lifestyle hack tip, or a tip on how someone can maybe earn more passive income. Uh, what would you like to share with our audience? Um, it's tough to pick just one. I would say, I mean, I, I'm obviously pro real estate. So if I have one tip in terms of how to generate passive income, start looking at property, see what you can put together. Uh, talk to agents, go see properties. It's easier than you think to get into your first deal. Uh, I, I've built my business with some vendor financing and I know that that's not something that everyone can do in every market. But my first purpose-built apartment building that I bought, I bought and I was able to buy because of a substantial loan from the person who sold it to me. So if there was one little piece of advice other than get started and do your homework and look at property, it might just be to step out and ask for what you need. Look at that property, find what works for you, find out what's missing and see who you can ask, ask for some help to get it done. 
We've talked before, you've had some very interesting stories um, in your experiences uh, investing. Um, you've also had some really creative strategies. Are there anything that, is there any strategies that you've had that were particularly creative that may stand out in your, uh, in your history? Well, before I owned any real estate, I would listen to those podcasts and read those blogs and go in the forums. And I was paranoid that everything was stale. Someone would do something and I'd think, well, that's two years ago. The market has changed. Yeah. And I was constantly worried that things were stale. And since then, I've spent about 10 years doing all those things and they're not stale. So I think that vendor financing is still alive in certain markets. Uh, I think it's important not to get caught up in overpay. Uh, there's a lot of pressure in this market to you know, just buy the lower cap property or, or a, it, who cares if you have cash flow because you'll make it back in the back end. I think it's important just to basically stick to your principles and just keep looking for the good deals. And in terms of creativity, I think a lot of things happen one step at a time. Uh, some people incorporate right away and they feel that there are creative advantages to that. I think like a lot of creativity ends up coming down to people, right? Like how do you interact with this person or how do you structure a deal in a way that like works, find a win-win for each other, like identifying, you know, what are the headaches that the other person has and how can I solve them? And it's such a specific event by event case where you need to bust out some creativity and handle it in a way that no one else maybe would have thought of. Exactly. And some of those things don't come to you right away as well. It, uh, a lot of the, if we were doing a very detailed thing, I, I could list item by item some of the creative things that we do in terms of our advertising or in terms of how we attract tenants. But some of them are just best practices we've learned just by, by keeping keeping our heads down and just uh, just continuing to work on various aspects of our business. Awesome. Well, I think I have one more question before we wrap it up. So you're talking about, you know, don't buy that low cap property just because you decide you want to buy a property. Let's say the new year is coming up. A lot of people set new resolutions for the new year. Let's say I've set a resolution that I'm going to buy my first income property this year. Any tips on how I can stay from getting emotional, from how I can keep from overpaying for that property? That's, that's actually a great thing to cover because I remember before I bought my first purpose-built rental, I had just my house. I was incredibly stressed because I was trying to set goals to get it done. And I remember there was this one triplex I looked at and I said to my girlfriend, we've got to buy this. And she said, well, there are a few issues here. And I said, no, we've got to buy this because if we don't buy this, then we're not buying anything. And then I'm going to get months older, possibly a year or more <laughs> older. I'm not going to have anything. So we just need to buy this. And you know what? It was the wrong property. And a short time later, we found the right property. So it's, it's hard to say, but... Just don't stress yourself out. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. If you look at a property and there's something genuinely concerning, walk and quickly find another. Uh, don't get desperate, right? Don't get desperate. And like uh, I find a lot of times you, your gut just tells you when something is good. You, you're not forcing it. You're not trying to make the numbers work, adjusting on the spreadsheet, trying to make it. And that, that, I would think that would be the, the case for any business or any investment. Like it should be pretty obvious to you that that's something you're excited about, something you think is going to really work. We were talking about FU money earlier, and I think one very simple benefit of having it is that you're never induced to do anything. So I remember when I was young and I was broke, I felt induced. I felt I had no control. I, I felt that uh, the only way to get out of my bad situation where I had no control was to fall into other situations where I possibly also had no control. So it's tough when you feel backed into a corner, but just do your homework, keep putting one foot in front of the other, and day by day... It does get done. 
Awesome. So where can people find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you or follow your journey? I'm active on Instagram. My account is John Kepler. That's J-O-N-K-E-P-L-E-R. If you'd like to follow me there. I, I do take private messages there as well. If you have a real estate question and you want to just send me a message, um, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Awesome. And so before we wrap things up, John, uh, we have a segment where we just like to give you an opportunity to ask our audience a question. It can literally be anything. You can ask them about whatever you like, whatever, whatever you'd like to pick their brain about. That's interesting. What sort of previous questions have been asked? So our very first guest, Michael Rosehart, asked, what's enough? How do you know when you have enough money? How do you know when you can stop grinding? Um, Graham Stephan, just ask people to smash the like button <laughs> and subscribe to our right, podcast. Right, I've heard that. Yes, that's true. Well, I presume you are already subscribed. And if you're not, you definitely should be subscribed right now. Is there something um, that you've been pondering that like, you're trying to figure out in your own life right now? Like A lot of times it's going to be something like a little bit more philosophical for a lot of people like like Rosehart, how do you know when enough is enough? Like, is there, is there anything that's kind of floating around in your brain that you maybe could ask the audience and get your thoughts going? Yeah. I, I don't mean to copy Michael Rosehart's question, but lately I've been thinking not just in terms of how much is enough, but if I had whatever enough is, what would I do with it? Uh, if there's a certain dollar figure, you can make it all about the money and make it all about the spreadsheets, or you can look at the utility of that money. And I've been thinking about what what would I really achieve? And so I guess instead of asking what is enough, I'll ask if you had enough, what would you do with it? Awesome. I think that's a perfect question. Thank you so much, John, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Make sure you jump over to his Instagram page. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for being on the show, John. Thanks for having me. That was great. And John brought up some really interesting points. And I loved hearing about his backstory and experience with MLMs. I love John's creativity, how he breaks the mold with what it takes to be successful. John's growth as a real estate investor in a small market, that was just really awesome to hear. The idea of becoming the biggest fish in the pond is really inspiring. And if you want to be inspired further, be sure to check us out on London on Fire, meetup.com or onfirepodcast.ca. And make sure to tune into the next On Fire podcast where we interview Tom, who just got back from a six-month mini-retirement, and he's got a lot of great stories to share. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen, signing off. And until next episode, remember, being normal. Buying stuff doesn't make you happy, and always remember what Zig Ziglar said. Lack of direction, not lack of time, is the problem. We all have 24-hour days.